This episode is brought to you by First Response. First Response recognizes that not all pregnancies are the same and neither is the road to get there. The First Response brand is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and providing accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. With a variety of tests that detect pregnancy hormones early and often, First Response is there for you every step of the way. All First Response pregnancy test products are available for purchase at all major retailers in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. A quick note before we get into the episode, Oversharing is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical or psychological advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or mental health professional. Hello, and welcome back to Oversharing. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I'm Dr. Naomi Bernstein. How's it going? It's at this point, I guess this is airing beginning of September. It's kind of crazy. The summer flew by. Yes, it's that's it. It's over ish over ish except ish. except for the fact that it's still it's very hot extremely hot but f- summer is officially over other than that yeah i just got back from my trip to italy it was great it was ex- the only complaint i had was that it was extremely hot but it's interesting like again not to be that person who goes abroad and starts like speaking <laughs> like they know another culture entirely right but it was like there must have been, I think there was a heat wave of, it was like in the 90s every day. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of feel like the European restaurants and like places, they're like, there's like air conditioning, but it's not like an American air conditioner yes. where it's just, you walk in and it's, it's just like, like. You need to put a jacket freezing. on. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so, but because of that, I was still kind of like mildly hot the entire trip. Right. <laughs> right. I, you know what, I, you know what I'm going to say about this. You have to just like, I think if you're mildly hot all the time, you just get used to being mildly hot and then you don't really, your body adjusts and you don't, did you feel like after the week or so that you were kind of adjusted, it didn't bother you as much or not? Really? A little bit, especially at night. Cause I like to sleep in like, yeah, cold that I could see in the beginning. It was hard to sleep, but I do think you kind of do adjust and it does it does kind it did kind of remind me of what you and I talk about on here of sort of leaning into your discomfort and then it kind of goes away when you stop just thinking like it's never gonna it's just never gonna be cold enough for me totally and and it just kind of did remind me of like maybe it's like a cultural like American need to just always be comfortable and you know that's talked about I'm not the first person to talk about that there's like Yes. Fast food. And yes. Extreme cold and like everything's big, like so much, like the portions are big. Everything is just kind of like tailored to Maximized. you. Maximized. Yeah. Right. Maximized comfiness. And even like the, you know, the buildings are always new. Like, in, and you go to Europe and everything's like a thousand years old. Right. People, it just seems like people are okay with being a little uncomfortable, which is nice. Right. And then- it's again, uncomfortable is a state of mind. So after a while, they're not probably really uncomfortable because they're not paying attention to being uncomfortable because they're just used to whatever that is. You know, it's so funny that you mention it because obviously it's been super hot here and the air conditioning's blasting and I'm like climate change and global warming and it's getting so hot. And then I try to do my little bit where like I wait in the pickup line for the to pick up the kids in the car. And I see all these cars just like idling their big, enormous gas guzzling engines sitting there for 20 minutes. And I'm like, it's so hot and the planet's getting hotter. 
So and, <laughs> and Jeff thinks I'm crazy, but I'll like turn off the engine and like open the windows and just sweat because I'm sort of like, I can't trying to do your part. I'm trying to do my part and I feel like I'm like pissing in the wind. But at the same time, I also try to embrace this whole thing of like, if we all just get used to being a little hot, then maybe we can all like turn our ACs down a little bit and just all get used to being a little bit not like per like it doesn't have to be like 68 degrees all right. the time like maybe i can be a little warmer maybe it could be 74 degrees and if we all did that that might help a little like it the might, maximizing yeah, comfort I thing i get it it's just it kind of reminds me of i watched this documentary when i was like 22 i think it was the joaquin phoenix documentary about go like being vegan or something and the documentary is like kind of traumatizing. It really goes into like all of the stuff behind all of the meat and all of like the animal mm. products and stuff like that. And the the crux of it was basically like, just like there's like an animal holocaust every day of like millions and millions and millions of animals that are just like tortured and killed like so that we could like have a burger. Right. We feel like that's okay. And I think I would vegan for like a week after yes. that. And then I would get forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> that type of stuff is super inspiring yeah. for a minute until you forget about it. And then you're like, just smell a burger. And yeah, I hear you. So I did want to share this experience that I had where I tried this thing called neurodynamic breath work, which I had never, I've done breath work before. I've tried all sorts of different breath work techniques. But this one was started basically by someone who, I don't know, I don't remember exactly, I don't know if it was psilocybin or um, ayahuasca, or he had some kind of psychedelic experience and he felt like it really changed him, but he was sort of like, I don't want to continue doing this. And he wanted to find a natural alternative to that type of thing. And he created this neurodynamic breath work, which is basically, it's like an hour long breathing exercise where you do just like this intense, deep breathing and it creates a sensation in your body, like differing sensations in your body that allow you to sort of quiet that ego mind, which is a big part of what psychedelics do. And it was pretty cool. I think the biggest takeaway is that it sort of eliminates your need to tell a story about your emotions. You know, like if you're feeling sad or okay. you're feeling rejected or you're feel whatever it is that you're feeling it almost allows it to just like be and live in your body and the biggest thing is that it allows you to express it so people typically do this like in person in big groups like i've never done that type of thing this was an online experience that i had and actually it's guided it's guided well no it's okay. it's not exactly guided it's guided in the beginning he gives you the okay. instructions in the beginning and then there's this like intense music that happened. Like you're not really guided for the hour that you're doing it. He tells you what type of breathing to do. He gives you some instructions about what to do and how to handle different situations that arise. Like if your mind starts wandering back, like how to kind of come back to the breath. But once you're sort of in this place, you just sort of, it's this open-ended allowing. So the idea is whatever happens, allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. And then he gives some gentle, like he's like, whatever sounds come up, allow yourself to just make, make those sounds. sounds. Are you guys muted? 
Were you muted virtually? Yes, I was muted yes. virtually. Okay. So that's the reason why I thought it was cool was because it was like this private kind of thing that I was doing by myself. And I did, it did allow me to sort of open up to the sounds that come with emotions. And I think in our culture specifically, we are taught that like expressing these like intense emotional sounds is like, eh, like not okay. Like it means that you're like histrionic or psychotic yeah. or there's something wrong with you or like this wailing, crying, whatever that. It, I mean, it just reminds me of that trigger that someone wrote in about the person at yoga like <laughs> making those noises and we're like, ugh, gross. <laughs> but you can do this yeah. in the privacy of your own home and that I don't think that was more like I'm I'm just like, you know, maybe like moaning and relief. This was like a deeper, felt like a deeper emotional, like almost these are meant for someone if you've had deep trauma. It, I mean, it could okay. be helpful for anyone, but let's say someone has had trauma or they're going through something really hard and they're having a lot of emotional pain around it. It's almost like the pain stays in your head a lot. And this allows the pain to kind of be embodied in the sense of like, if I want to wail, like that's part of our human, like if you see animals that are right, like elephants that lose their children, they like cry and they wail. And I'm always a big fan of crying and like releasing that. And there's like movement in it. Like I found myself kind of like rocking and like moving and just like allowing my body to kind of like express whatever physical manifestations of the emotion were coming out and you're doing it in privacy, and it allows you to kind of, I think, let your body do its natural healing process, which I think our culture squashes a little bit, if that makes sense. Because it needs to be more contained, you're saying, in like a th in, especially in a therapy thing. Where I see what you're saying, where like you're telling a story, but you're not really, you can react to it, but you're not supposed to like overly emote. About yeah, it. like you could shed a few tears or even like cry and, you know, with a therapist, that's probably like the most you're going to do or with like a super close loved one. But even for men, you know, like even men are really conditioned not even to cry that that's like, right. you know, so they're holding all of that in a lot, even more so than I think women are. But like, if you ever see people that are just in unbridled grief, they're like wailing and throwing themselves on the floor and like allowing themselves to have these like big grief reactions. But that's not, we don't see that often, even though there are a lot of people that are experiencing grief. Like we don't really see those types of grief reactions. So this is an outlet for that, which I think could be cool for people that do feel like they have a lot of pent up grief or trauma um, to allow themselves that space to express it. I thought it was cool. And there's a legit, like in the beginning of it, I literally felt like numbness and tingling in my oh, body wow. just from, and I think that, that experience like allowed me to really buy in. And once you buy in, then you can kind of let yourself go and let yourself heal. It almost feels like being like hypnotized, mm -hmm. but different. Totally. Like if you're like, if you know what I mean? If you let yourself go there, yes. like you can go there. They kind of say that like it works on certain people who are like willing to believe it works. A hundred percent. And that's how psychedelics work, right? They like give you this mm -hmm. experience that like you can't help but buy into it because it's like taking over. 
And that's, right. you're 100% right. Hypnosis won't work if the whole time you're like, this is bullshit, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> and same thing with this neurodynamic breath work. Like it's not gonna work if you're like, oh my God, this is ridiculous, this isn't gonna work. Cause then you're in your story, you're in your mind, you're not like in your body, allowing your body to just do its thing. So, and the one that I did, they offer it for free. So if you're out there and you just wanna give it a try. Oh cool, what's it called? You can go to breathworkonline.com and um, the founder's name is Michael Stone. And I thought it was a pretty cool experience. Um, and you can- Are you gonna try to do it in your therapy sessions like for your clients? You know, I'd have to be trained in it. I mean, it does seem pretty simple, but I'm not trained in it. I thought about getting trained in it. It really is, a lot of it, they play this like intense, like drumming music and this music that like brings up like, in, you know, kind of conjures up intense emotions, but most of it you're really doing by yourself. Like right. he starts you off, he guides you, he tells you what to do, but the hour of breathing, you're on your own. Well, if you get certified, that'd be a fun thing to lead on here. Yeah, that would right? be that would be pretty yeah. cool. It is a very cool experience. I, I recommend people give it a shot. And it's the type of thing where you, you, one time you can get a taste of it, but the idea is that you do it multiple times and then you can kind of train that part of your brain a little bit to strengthen that part of you that doesn't always have to be telling the story of your pain. You're just feeling mm -hmm. your pain and then releasing it. And you're not like beholden by the story of who did what to you and who's wrong and who's right and how am I gonna salvage my ego in this scenario and not feel like I'm a bad person or my future is going to be terrible or, you know, just all the chatter that we do around our emotions and just let them right. be what they are. I like that. Maybe I'll try it. Yeah, try it. It's, you need two hours. It's free. Is there a camera on you? No, you could turn on, I turned <laughs> off my camera. I turned off my mic and I just listened to the music. Oh, okay. That's great. As long as there's no like participation needed. Like, well, there, so there's yeah. not participation <laughs> needed, but I will say this, they do have like, um, they have like at the end of it, like a, what do you call it? Like a forum, like a chat Q &A. session. Yeah. Where you can share your experience. And, okay. and it was interesting because I, I actually did share my experience, which I thought was interesting that I was like emoting in this way, like, like vocalizing which was mm -hmm. weird for me. I'm like, I had that feeling too of like this, if anyone comes in here right now, like they're gonna think that there's like, that this is like really weird, right? So I had that experience and I was trying to like accept it and allow it and be in it. But it was funny because a few days before, and this just happens with kids, like with my kids where they're like crying about something. And to me, whatever they're crying about, like doesn't seem like a big deal. And so like, I'll be empathic and I'll try and I'll do all the things that, you know, listening and letting them speak. But then after a while, I'm like, the crying's not helping. Get over it. Like, <laughs> like it's not like, let's change the channel in our mind kind of thing. But it was funny because when I was doing this, I had this experience and it made me think of that. Like, that's what they need. They just, if they just need to cry, I don't need to make it stop just because it's like eliciting something in me. If they need to like cry because, whatever, they can't have a cookie, like, okay, you can cry because you can't have a cookie. It doesn't I mean guess. I'm gonna give you a cookie. It doesn't mean I have to tell you not to cry. You'll cry, you'll get it out of your system, and then maybe you'll feel like you got that emotion out. Yeah, I guess though, like, where's the line into adulthood? 
where like right well like like yeah. where they become someone who's at the grocery store and they don't have the snack they were looking for and they're just crying in the aisle like <laughs> right well the truth is so look i guess they're age dependent right if, right. if you have a five-year-old that's crying because they don't have a cookie, okay, get it. Like the, the point is I'm not going to give him the cookie just because he's crying. And eventually I think he'll figure out like that the crying is not coming from a manipulative place of like, if I cry, I get what I want versus the crying is coming from a place of like, this is my body's way of like working through this emotion of frustration and disappointment, whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, but I do think that like we, even as adults, we tend to really stifle kids in their expression. We don't have to give them what they want to make them stop crying. We can just like let it run its course and just like right. be there. And like, then it, then it becomes less manipulative because they're still not getting what they want. They're just like cleansing their body of that emotional energy. But then is the idea, like when do they then, how do they then learn that like eventually that's not really an appropriate response to just feeling discomfort? I think it will happen naturally once it, if it's not manipulative and that's what happens. Right. Like I think eventually when they realize that they can use that to get what they want, that's a whole different thing than just I'm having this emotion. And then I think it happens when it really needs to happen. Right. When they're having like a, like a breakup or something. Yes. You know, a significant thing that is really upsetting for them. Right. Versus like you took my phone away for three hours and now I'm going to like hysterically cry or whatever. Or if they're hysterically crying because you took their phone away, it's because they're like afraid that their friends are going to not be their friends anymore. Or what, you know, if there's some deeper thing, then maybe they do need to like release that fear emotionally and, you know, whatever that is. I think it's a good, my personal feeling is it's, when I experience that, that there is some like pent up emotional energy in there, it made it easier for me to kind of allow my kids or others to have that emotion. Okay. I like that. A little grace for the menti bees <laughs> around the nation. <laughs> right? I had a feeling that you were, <laughs> that you were, were going to feel a way about this. That's why I'm so curious to see you try it. And see if you yeah. can actually give in and like vocal, make like, you know, vocalize or movements or just kind of get in touch with that like kind of animal part of you that yeah. like feels, you know? I think I could do that privately. I think there's something very off putting about the idea of like being that raw around strangers mm-hmm. or even people you know. It feels, I don't know, there is a feeling of like a containment, but. I think if it was like me alone in my room, I could probably do it. Do it. Okay. Send me the link <laughs> after this. <laughs> I will. I want to see what happens. I did it very privately. I didn't want anyone to like, you know, see or hear or, ju- you know, it feels like a very vulnerable state of like getting in touch with your inner emotions. The versions of that that you see are people who are kind of unhinged. Yes. Like, it's not like the most normal, well-functioning adjusted adult is like, that you're seeing generally is having like a animalistic reaction to something in public. Right. Well, it's acceptable if it's like grief, right? Like if you've lost a child or if you've yeah. like, there's some like deep grief, but there are people out there that have that similar type of deep grief over whatever it is, like the loss of a, of a relationship or that feels very similar to the deep grief where it's acceptable. But even then it's not like entirely 
acceptable, but maybe if it was, we'd move through this much more quickly rather than like having entire podcasts dedicated to dealing with like breakups. If we just all allowed ourselves, cause it's like all about telling the story about it, which is more controlled and interesting and like takes up this mental energy, but you're not really healing from the inside out. Right. And that's really just like, it's not as relevant as the feelings, but it's easier to hold on to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like it. I, I might try it. Yeah. Find two hours. You can do it. You don't have oh, to two share. Two hours. Well, well it's, okay. it's a half an hour with the intro, like where he tells you what to do and how to do it. It's an hour of the actual breathing. And then there's a half an hour of like the debrief, which if you wanted to skip that part, you could. Um, yeah. This seems like a good thing to do virtually because you can be fully private as opposed to if you were yes. in the room and, and you might. But maybe if you liked it virtually and you got into it, like maybe the next step would be being in a room. Yeah. Even I, that would make me anxious. To Same. Try it. I'm curious. Right. I'll send you the link. I'll give it a shot. And if you guys, you know, if you want something a little more light than that to get to get into the meditation journey or the the, the breath to body yes. journey, you guys, it's now September 4th. That means we have two new meditations out on our calm the fuck down meditation experience on on this show. So those are already out right now. If you want to subscribe, you can also get these episodes ad-free. This month, we're doing a meditation for sending a risky text and then also feeling overwhelmed at work. Two things I'm sure almost everyone living and breathing can relate to. <laughs> and if you want to try it out, you can also get a seven-day free trial. You can go to subscribe.betches.com. Or if you're in the Apple Podcasts app, you can just check it out. It's right on your feed. You can subscribe right on there. And thank you guys for writing in with your emails. We've got a great episode today. If you have a voicemail that you want to leave us, you can call 646-363-6294. Or if you want to email us, you can email us at oversharing at betches.com. If you're looking for simple but quality products for your five-minute makeup routine, or you want full-faced glam that'll stun on a night out, Thrive Cosmetics has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademark formulas, and uncompromising standards. It's easy to see why their bestsellers have thousands of five-star reviews. One of my favorite things about my Thrive products, and I love the mascara. I wear it on every single recording I have because it looks like I'm wearing eyelash extensions, but I'm not. I also love that Thrive Cosmetics supports communities that I care about. I also love Thrive's new Brilliant Eye Brightener. It's a highlighter stick made to brighten and open your eyes, giving you an instant eye lift. Just apply to the inner corner of your eyes to look rested and effortless. You can use it as an eyeshadow for a perfect daytime glow or use the metallic shades for an easy smoky eye. The foolproof formula makes it extremely easy to apply and blend any of the 16 shades. Perfect for five-minute makeup or full face glam. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash oversharing. That's thrivecosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash oversharing for 10% off your first order. There is nothing better than feeling yourself, especially when your denim looks and feels good. That's why Lee is a staple in my wardrobe, because everyone is an icon in their own right, and Lee makes denim so you can own your style and feel good about it. I got a few Lee pieces that I absolutely love. They've been a a wardrobe staple of mine ever since I got them. I just keep basically like switching between the two or three jeans that I got. 
every time that I wash them, they get more comfortable and they get more fitted and more flattering to me. I love that they flatter every body type. They're timeless. So you can wear them at any point. I love that the jeans feel like comfortable yet flattering. I don't know how they do it. It's actually an art and they've mastered it. Leah's denim jacket is the one to reach for without fail. A classic. The Ryder jean jacket is the OG, what every other brand has copied for decades. Denim trends come and go, but Lee is legendary for creating denim cuts that fit your body. Their spring collection is here, so get the freshest looks and cuts before anyone else. You can find your Lee fits by visiting lee.com. That's lee.com to shop spring looks now. Let's jump right in. Okay, I'll read the first email, our first overshare. Hi, Jordana and Naomi. This is my first time ever writing into a podcast. I listen to almost all of the Betches media work, and I love this podcast so much. And I am a social worker, too. I have a triggered situation. I need advice. I just got out of a boring 11-month relationship and got on the app shortly after. I matched with this one guy who also just got out of a two-and-a-half-year relationship and said he was looking for a relationship. Anyway, let's call him New Sam. My ex was also Sam. Okay. I wonder if we could do a whole thing about people who like dating the yes. person with the same name. Cause I've done that too. I've dated like a few mics actually That's in the past. Really funny. And you ended up with a mic. That's a whole different thing. That's what I'm saying. Right. Like, I wonder if that's, you know, subconscious repair, right? Like you're trying potentially. To, yeah. Okay. Anyway, we went on three dates within six days and sort of hit it off. I say sort of because he was kind of shy, but we had a lot of chemistry. He was texting and Snapchatting me a lot, like text and snap at the same time. LOL, we are adults, but whatever to each their own. On date three, we got drinks and then hung out at his place after and hooked up as we also did the prior dates. In bed, he kept saying how much he liked me and we had some pretty deep convos and I felt a connection to him. Then he just stopped texting me. I felt the vibes were off right the next day when he didn't text me good morning as he had been for like three weeks prior to ever meeting. My friends told me I was insane and people just don't always text the way I do. I'm a big obsessive texter. Anyway, there were a few times I asked to hang out. He wasn't available, but would say things like, ah, sometime soon, smiley face. He's been randomly texting me and having the most dry convos like, hey, how was your day or what's up, etc. And then responding with one word answers. So since I was annoyed, I tried to be more forward and cut the BS. I straight up told him to text me in the morning one night to make plans to go out again because maybe boy needs a hint, but no follow up on that. Two days later, he sent a random text that said, hey, good look at your new job. Thoughtful, but what? I haven't heard from him in five days and it's been on my mind. I'm wondering if I should A, text him and see what's up, but why? B, straight up ask if he has any interest in going out again. So if I get the no from him, I can unfollow, etc. C, wait around and be annoyed help thanks so much for all you do sincerely annoyed 25 and single and what the fuck is wrong with men Betch. yeah this is so relatable it's a tale as old as time tale as old as time c is not an option in my mind like i just feel like your life is precious you don't want to wait another day if it's on your mind if you can shake it and just be like all right he's not that interested i want to be pursued or all that stuff that people feel when they're in this stage and you don't think about it, then great. Then just move on. But I don't think that's not even an option for her moving on and not being irritated. So that's not one of the choices waiting around and being annoyed is, which I think is that process of elimination. I would cross out C first. 
I agree, even though that's definitely what I used to do because I found it to be like, in my mind, it was the power move, but in reality, it's actually the least powerful move because you're so afraid of seeming like you care that you actually just decide to suffer. Yes. Um, (laughs) So it doesn't really make any sense, but I understand why one would do that. (laughs) Yeah, and I think part of why people do that is because... And we'll just talk about like your typical male, female dynamic. And I'm just going to use stereotypes, but you know what it feels like to have a guy that is too interested. And maybe that makes you less interested because he's showing interest. So it feels like, oh, I know kind of what it feels to be on the other side of this. And I don't want to come on too strong and turn him off. Yeah, for sure. So I get that perspective of like, I have to kind of play hard to get, or I have to, you know, but if he's, if you haven't heard from him in five days, like it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) That was sort of the other thing I was thinking about this email in particular, because she said, I just got out of a very boring 11 month relationship. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me a lot of like that book attached that I read, which is basically like when you have a little bit of an anxious attachment you kind of find like stable, healthy relationships to be boring. Mm-hmm. And I can see why she'd be like, cause she kind of describes the situation as she said they hit it off, but also that he was kind of quiet and there was, you know, maybe she's amplifying the connection in her head because he's sort of withholding. And now she's convinced herself that he's amazing. Maybe because she's coming out of this other relationship that was stable and she's like, I want more excitement. And she's sort of mistaking the excitement of not being sure if someone's into you for general excitement ding, about a guy. Ding, ding, I think you're a hundred percent right. And I think if he would have continued texting her good morning and been like, I had so much fun last night. I can't wait to see you again. And like, was like laying it on and whatever connection she's now idealizing in her mind might have been, if he was just like, yes, I'm in this, like, I want to see you on Tuesday. And then the same thing happened and they just lived happily ever after. I don't know that she would be writing into us with like anything having to do with this or even that excited about it. I think you might be right. right. I don't know for sure, but I, I do believe that that she probably is looking for a little bit of a chase, not this much, right? It has to be like just right. the right amount of chase. Like, yes. Five days is too much. You know, one day is too little. She probably needs something in the middle. And, you know, he's not abiding by her Goldilocks standards of what exactly is the perfect amount of chase. Do you feel like it's okay to sort of desire that? Or is that automatically unhealthy? No, I think, I don't think it's automatically unhealthy. But I do think that, once you reach your point where you're like, this doesn't feel good anymore, and you communicate that, if that is the point where the other person is sort of like turned off by that, then that's when it's unhealthy. So I think like you can enjoy the butterflies and like have that be an exciting thing. And if it moves beyond your little Goldilocks, you know, period where it's like too much, And then she does what she's asking us probably to tell her to do, which is to say, hey, I've been feeling a little pullback. Like, I just want to find out where your head's at. If he's kind of like comes at it with either, you know, not telling the truth and just distancing himself further then that and she continues to chase, then that's unhealthy. 
or if she gets to this point where she, you know, tells him that, and then he's obviously like, yeah, I think it was moving a little too fast for me and I'm not sure how I feel, then she can like evaluate that and handle it. But I do think once you get to that point where it's like taking up space in your head, doesn't feel fun anymore, feels frustrating, making you doubt yourself, all those other things that come along with it, I think that's the point where like, okay, now I can communicate. And if this communication is like a turn off to him, then I have to like exit the situation. Because being right. in a relationship with someone where when you communicate what you feel that turns them off, that's unhealthy. No, I totally agree. I wish I had known that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and look, it's it's exciting for like a day, right? You're at work and you're thinking about him and you're reminiscing and you sent the text and he hasn't responded yet. And like, that's all fun and that's exciting. And maybe you, there's a little bit of chase there. But then if you like go to bed and he still hasn't responded to the text and you wake up and he still hasn't responded, now it's not like not fun anymore. Right. Now it just makes you feel bad. Yeah. So I agree. I think your method, which is sort of a mix of A and B, I guess, is the best one to just say like, say what's going on in your experience. I'm feeling a little bit of a pullback. Are you still interested in seeing each other again? That's it. I th- and honestly, the part that's difficult is like, and you can tell me because you're closer to this probably than I am, is like the idea of calling someone on the phone and having a phone call is just like, whoa, like I never said I wanted to get married. (laughs) (laughs) It's like calling someone on the phone is like a marriage proposal. You know, like I think these conversations could go much better if you could have them on the phone, but I feel like nobody just does that. I think they could. I think it feels like... Again, if you think about like the fear of like turning someone off, it's like now they want to like have a serious talk and we went on three dates. So I can understand why you wouldn't want to do that. But I I agree like that would be the ideal situation to hear someone's tone and get their voice and be able to ask a question that you could get an immediate response to. Because like that's the other part about texting that thing. And again, we have a we have a meditation out right now about sending a risky text Right. And in this case, the risky text would be like, are you still interested in going out? Which is like, yeah, it's a vulnerable. You put you you've been vulnerable. You've said, like, I send something. I'm interested in this. And you're leaving yourself open to rejection is the fear that, like, that person doesn't answer for five hours. Yes. And then you're just now you're sitting there in an amplified version of what you've been sitting in for the past five days. Right. Totally. And that's why even if there was a phone call, it might not even need to be like a whole talk. It might just be like a phone call catch up that ends with like planning a date, you know, instead of this, like you text me, I text you three hours back, you text 24 hours later. It's like everything's like pulling teeth because people can't get on the phone. Like I do wish that we could bring back a phone call every now and then because then it's like all this is concise. It's a all in one 15 minute phone call, you can hear the tone. Does he sound excited? Is he asking me questions? Do we plan a date at the end of the phone call? And then I can move on with my life. But I don't think I'm going to convince people out there to call someone that they've been on two or three dates with on the phone, which I mean, it does sound kind of crazy that that's like so absurd that you would have a 15 minute phone call with someone that you've probably had sex with or like at least- you know, been like pretty intimate with, but you can't yet call them on the phone for 15 minutes. No, I agree. I think it's like um, very, I just think as, you know, technology, as it's become so easy to contact people in these sort of low stakes, 
low lift weights. She talks about them Snapchatting, which to me is in itself a red flag. Mm-hmm. The app where your messages disappear, it's all about sort of making communication as low stakes and as meaningless yes. as possible. Like the like a phone call is meaningful. Like we that that's I think why people are so hesitant to do them because it just connotes like real meaning. Yeah, like this this relationship has real meaning. And you know what? If it does to her, I think that's a great thing to do is to say like, can we talk on the phone? It's saying without saying it. This is meaning to me. Right. Totally. I encourage all strong, confident women out there to call the guy call him on the phone, put him on the spot. Like, what is the big deal? Like, especially if you've actually like had sex with this person, the fact that you cannot dial their phone number and hear their voice and like have a conversation with them after that is, I get it, but it's like, I wish we could turn that around. So if you're out there and you're confident and you're dating and you have a question or you want to figure out where someone's head's at, call them on the phone. And if that's too much for them, be gone. Yeah, no, it's totally true. I had a guy try to break up with me over text and I asked him for a call and he was like, Are you, do you really want to, you really like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, would you rather, would you rather text? I'm like, I think I deserve a call. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that was probably just you wanting to make him uncomfortable. Like, even though you knew what he was going to say. Yeah. I mean, of course I knew what he was going to say, but it's kind of like, I think if you are ending something with someone that you slept with it's nice yeah to call them it's crazy i i mean the whole concept like i can put my penis in you but i can't talk to you on the phone for 15 minutes right to tell you i'm no longer interested in doing just that <laughs> <laughs> so and i really i think women need to take more control over this situation is be like, I'm a mature human and I don't want to wait three hours for a text back from you. I have work to do. I have things to take care of. I have a life to live. So I'm going to call you on the phone and you can just be a mature person, pick up and figure out like how to connect or not. Yeah. Anyway. Well, we're bringing back the phone call in, in Q4 2023. Yes. And you're, you're good at that. Like with your friendships, I think you really value that or like with relationships. Like, I think you're always one that's like, all right, I'm not going to get into a whole paragraphing thing here. Like, I'm just going to call you on the phone and discuss whatever it is. And I think that works so much better for so many things, especially when it's like these romantic, I'm not sure how you feel like. Yeah. I think any conversation with any kind of nuance really needs to be done face-to-face or over the phone because it's just like you just don't get the whole vibe from someone otherwise and she'll get the vibe she'll get what would have taken her three days to get in a 10-minute phone call if he picks up and if he doesn't and he doesn't call her back then there's your answer he's not gonna pick up that's the other yeah he's not i think like if what's going on here is what we suspect it is which after five days of no texting i think the writing is a little bit on the wall yeah but if he's the kind of person to do that i don't think he's picking up right and that's you could text she could text him and ask him if he wants to get on a call right see if he answers that but that's my point too it's like there's your answer then if you call someone and they don't call you back then she can skip right to you know B, I get the no from him and I can unfollow, et cetera. So I think it's also, yes, you're going to have to do that waiting period and you can listen to the meditation and like learn how to tolerate the unknown and 
realize you're going to be okay no matter what and all that stuff. But if you don't get the call back, then you know that this isn't what you're looking for. Good luck. Now it's all phone calls. Texting should be for like information. Mm -hmm. This is where we're meeting. This is the name of the restaurant. Yes. How was your day? Any kind of conversation that's heavier than that phone call in person. Totally. And I think that the confident person needs to take charge of that and just be like, I'm going to be fine no matter what. If he doesn't like this, then he's not trying to connect in the way that I'm trying to connect or she or whatever it is. I feel like the phone call in 2023 kind of feels like it would kind of feels like showing up to someone's door in like 1992, (laughs) right? It's You're like, are you... Like, they're going to think I'm a complete lunatic. Yes. <laughs> Can you believe she called me after three dates? Like, whoa, psycho. Right. It's like popping, popping in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's true. Sure. What has this world come to? Spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up. Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, tap into your power, and get ready for summer. I love working out with Peloton. I take their yoga classes multiple times a week. I also love Pilates. I just love that the classes on Peloton are so well done. The music is great. The instructors know what they're doing. I know everything's going to go super, super smoothly. It's an app I can trust. I always feel better after I take a Peloton class. Peloton accommodates your schedule with a variety of class lengths to choose from. Even if you only have five minutes, Peloton has classes for you, giving you the flexibility you need to move your body. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and mood. If you can't run, take a walking class. If you want to level up, go to their Pilates or HIIT workouts or try yoga if you just need to ground yourself. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take the guesswork out of working out so you can jump right in, keeping your fitness journey fresh every day. Peloton is everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's do a duchesses. Do you want to read this one? Yeah, I'll read this one. All right. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. Huge fan of your podcast and look forward to listening every week. A Betch Assist question for you, which I totally thought was Betch Assist until you clarified recently. A friend of mine from college is getting married next year at a destination that is a four-hour flight away from where I live. Attending the wedding would require my partner and I to pay for flights, hotels, overnight care for our dog, etc., and would be an expensive excursion. The destination itself is an expensive one to stay in. Some background on my relationship with the bride-to-be. I'm not particularly close with this friend, but we share a ton of mutual friends. We never hang out one-on-one, but see each other about quarterly in groups. We also don't live in the same city at this point, but we used to, so we used to see each other more often. The majority of our mutual friends, to my knowledge, are planning to attend her wedding. I don't really feel a need to get closer to this friend. We don't mesh super well, though I don't dislike her or anything like that. 
It's also worth noting that I have not had a wedding yet, so I don't know if she would travel for an event for me. What is my obligation to attend her wedding, knowing that I'm very free on the actual weekend of the event and could go from a logistical point of view? Is just sending a gift enough? Is there a general rule around attending weddings that require flights, hotels, and other travel costs? From a bet who's trying to be more protective of her time and energy. Um, I like this question. It's, it's a great question for two people who had destination weddings. Yes, totally. <laughs> right. Yeah, my, my feeling is, if you don't think it's going to be fun to like hang out with your whole group of fr- mutual friends and you're not going to be looking like that to me would maybe make it worth it. If you think that that would be just like a good time and a good friends trip, which I will say now that I'm past all of this, my friends and I have no reason to do that stuff. So I do kind of miss it because it was nice to kind of have these built in weekends where everyone got together for weddings. And now it's like, no reasons why we do that. So I would enjoy that if that's something that you would enjoy. But I think if this isn't a friendship that you want to lean into and that you are willing to kind of, you'd have to be willing to almost let it go, I think, Mm -hmm. if you were going to say no for no reason, which is also fine. So I think it's okay to say no. And I also don't think you need to make up an excuse. I think you could just say, so sorry, we can't be there have a great time. Sending a gift would be really great. Um, and that's it. I don't, I don't think she has to go. I think if you wanted to, or you thought it would be fun, go for it. But I don't think you need to go to like do the right thing. Totally agree. I think as someone who had fairly recently a destination wedding, most of the people at the friendship level that this person is saying that they are with this person did not come to my wedding. Mm -hmm. And I think there's maybe like a 10 second little sting when someone says no, and you know, they're just like not coming because you're not close enough. Mm -hmm. But you kind of, if you're like a self-aware person, I think you also know that and that it's a big ask and that someone who isn't that invested in the friendship won't feel like they need to be there, which is fine. I don't think anyone is wrong in that situation. So I totally agree. I think she cannot go. I think it w- it could be fun if all her friends are there. That's more of the reason to go, it seems, than like needing to celebrate this person's yes. love. Yes, yes. And I think that most people know that too. So I would say no. If you want to maintain the friendship in any sort of sense, I would send a gift. Mm-hmm. If you don't, I don't think you have to, actually. Yeah. Like I think that if you're if you're invited to a destination of what of a wedding of someone you don't really feel like you're ever going to see again, or maybe you'll see one more time in your life and you don't really feel like you're investing in that friendship. I don't think you need to send a gift. Yeah. I think sending the gift is a nice way to like make this smooth this over, make it nice. I, if we see each other, it'll be great. I don't have to feel awkward. I think Mm -hmm. you could, you know, maybe shoot a text after the wedding looked beautiful. So, you know, you looked great. Yeah. So happy for you. And then continue on as if nothing ever happened. It's tough. I mean, it feels like not going to someone's wedding sometimes feels like this huge rejection. But I also think it sounds like this trip is going to cost her at least several thousand dollars probably. So like that's a big ask. A lot of the times people have these destination weddings because they know people will not come. Mm -hmm. Like that's sort of part of the appeal is that they get to invite. And this was a little bit of the appeal to me is that I get to invite a lot of people while knowing that a lot of people wouldn't come. 
Yeah. But not feel like I like like I was like rejecting or not inviting those people to my wedding, but also sort of like most of the time when people decide to do a destination wedding, it's because they want a smaller guest list. Right. And they ha- you have to be okay with people saying no. Like I think the fact if we flip it, the idea that someone would have a destination wedding that's a four hour plane ride away for somebody plus whatever expenses they're going to spend there and getting there. And like you said, you know, taking care of your dog, et cetera. If someone's going to get mad at you and like have hard feelings towards you for not doing that, they're going to have a lot of difficult relationships. You're not going to be the only one. So I think when you're doing that, you cannot, you have to know that there's going to be a lot of people that say no, like I, like you said, I had that type of wedding and there were a lot of people that didn't come and I felt no differently about them. Like I got it. It's expensive and that's fine. Yeah. You can't make it. Let's go out to dinner when we get back and we'll cheers. Just say, sorry, we can't make it. That's a good general one. Yeah. And now it's time for a special segment brought to you by the Not Vendor Marketplace with easy to use filters like location, ratings, aesthetic, and more. The Not helps take the stress out of your vendor search. Visit thenot.com slash oversharing to get started today. Each week, we answer an email from a listener who's looking for help setting intentions for their big day and help them quell their pre-wedding jitters. Let's get into this week's email. Let's do it. Okay, I'll read it. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. I just got engaged. By just, I mean three days ago, LOL. Congratulations. I'm already anxious about wedding planning. I've never been the type who have dreamt of my wedding day. I'm uncomfortable getting lots of attention and really never saw myself having a big wedding. I jokingly, not jokingly, said to my fiance that we should just elope and he immediately shut it down. (laughs) Rejected. It's funny when you get engaged and you find out what someone's like, really strong yes. preferences are immediately. She's like, oh, maybe we just have a cord. No, nope. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> I also said something to my mom about not wanting a big wedding before getting engaged. And her answer was, why not? You're so organized. You'd be so good at planning a wedding. Even though I quite literally have never planned an event. I foresee myself being able to compromise with a small destination wedding with just immediate family and very close friends or eloping and having a reception later on but I don't know if my fiance and family will go for this. I also have to be mindful that he has elderly grandparents who would really want to be there. My grandparents have all passed, so I don't feel tied to any specific location. Our families also live across the country from each other, so I would feel like I was choosing one of them over the other by picking one of our home states, which just adds more stress. I already feel all of the questions coming from my friends and family, and it's already stressing me out. I want to enjoy being engaged and plan something I really will be happy with. So how do I tune out everyone else's opinion and really plan something I want? I know this is also an important factor. My family would be the one contributing more financially between the two families. Best, a courthouse wedding looks better every day. All right. I I like this because I've said this to you before. I like weddings and wedding planning because I think it unearths some of the deeper issues that couples need to kind of go through before they get married in terms of like just having opening up those conversations about what is meaningful to you, what, you know, this, this one day becomes a big deal because it's supposed to kind of embody all these things 
about your relationship, things that are meaningful to you, things that, you know, are important for you to commemorate and share and experience. And I also think the lead up is a good way for you to express your fears, express your insecurities, express, you know, your concerns about joining lives together and what that looks like. So the big thing that I have for her here is like, she's been engaged three days. And I think right now it probably feels a lot like more intense than it will in another week or two or month or two. But I, I feel like just using this as a time to lean into conversations with her husband where she says, oh, maybe I'd like to elope. And he shuts it down and just says, no, that's a moment where it's like, okay, why? For him and her, what makes you say no so quickly about that? Why is that such an automatic, like, no, I don't want that. What are you looking for in a wedding that that wouldn't allow for? And for her too, like, what is she looking for in a wedding that having a ton of people there wouldn't allow for? for her. Maybe it's, you know, like she said, not wanting to be the center of attention with people that she doesn't know that well, or not wanting all these eyes on her and like allowing her to express that to her fiance and explore what that fear is, what that insecurity is. And for him, if he has a passion about like, you know, spending time with a bunch of people, he loves like, you know, parties and, you know, dancing or, you know, what. Or his family, really important that his family is there. Right. The whole family or whatever it is. Yes. So this is a great opportunity to just have these conversations that are going to help bring you closer and help you understand each other better. It's like this, the wedding is the symptom. Whatever you want in your wedding is like a symptom of something that's meaningful to you. Or a rejection of something that's not meaningful to you. Yes, Exactly. And that's important to discuss. Like, I don't want everybody like pampering me the day before, like, or what the morning of, like, that just doesn't feel like something that I need or something that I like, or I don't want to have that, this, you know, these are the parts that feel like uncomfortable for me. Um, So you could even just sit down and and write out lists of like, what are the part, what is meaningful to you in your life? And how can we bring that into this wedding ceremony and reception? I like that a lot. The fiance's rejection of the elopement is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know why he rejected it. I'm sure he was just like, whoa, no, that's not what I envisioned. Okay, well, let's like explore that. What did you envision? Why? Right. What parts of the vision that you had feel like super exciting to you? Let's see if we can maintain those parts that feel super exciting. Yeah, you definitely get you get to know a person a lot better when you're planning a very expensive wedding with all of your family and friends in attendance. Yes. I think it almost like exists for that reason somehow. Like I know it doesn't, but I think there is so much depth and connection that happens through the process. If you can do it the right way. If you just are like, I want this. Well, I want this. Well, now I'm mad at you because you don't want what I want. And now we have like a conflict because I don't want what you want. And then it just stays there and you focus on the symptoms. Then it can become difficult, but it's a perfect you know, breeding ground for communication and connection and getting to know each other probably better than you did before. I like that advice a lot. Yeah. So I wrote an intention for her to think about as she's going through this, if she chooses to take this advice, which is communication and connection with my fiance will lead us to a meaningful and joyful wedding. So this is about the two of you. This is about how you communicate. This is about how the two of you find meaning together it's not about, you know, making other people happy or although maybe that's part of, is making other people happy something that you're 
both passionate about? How do you feel about making other people happy? Is that something that really is important to you in your life and in what ways? So that's another piece of this that's going to come up. And you get to find out just how annoying your in-laws are. (laughs) It's another exciting part of it. So true. And like, how do you deal with that? You know, like, okay, we decided that we're not going to let your mom invite her whole bridge club or whatever it is. Like, okay, now how are we going to communicate that to get to her together? How are we going to tolerate her displeasure? How are we going to try to soothe her? Or, you know, this is all part of this beautiful, unfolding, stressful process. But I think it can bring you closer if you guys, and that's why I do recommend a lot of couples do therapy, couples therapy before getting married, because all these things unearth deeper things that you might not have touched on before you're joining, making a huge joint decision that involves a lot of money and a lot of people and a lot of personalities and all that. Agreed. Good luck. If you're feeling very stressed on your wedding day about all of these things coming together, we have a meditation for the morning of your wedding day, which is literally the perfect thing to do to get into the right headspace before you get started on your marriage and your wedding day. Also, another suggestion for anyone who wants to reduce the stress of planning a wedding, the Not Vendor Marketplace. When searching for that special someone to bring your wedding vision to life, it helps to have the inside scoop and the knots got it. Maybe you want an ice cream cake to commemorate your first date at a Sunday shop or hire a marching band as a nod to your first kiss at band camp. Whatever feels authentically you, find it on the Not Vendor Marketplace. Thousands of couples who know what it's like to be in your shoes have left reviews and ratings, helping you connect with vendors you can trust. All you have to do is visit thenot.com slash oversharing to find top rated vendors near you. That's the knot spelled K-N-O-T. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly has a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There's no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So it's no big deal if you lose a button, spill something, or you just need to take a break. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. Get fast free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code OVERSHARING20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code OVERSHARING20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's, with code OVERSHARING20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, let's do some triggers. Do you want to read our first one? I'll read the first one. It's a doozy. <laughs> Dear Jordana and Dr. Naomi, I have a friendship triggered scenario for you. I've tried to brush this off, but it's been three days after and I'm still triggered. I have a friend who I met in college and we've been friends for about five years. We were not very close in college, but have grown closer in the past year or so. We're both in our mid-20s, working women are in our both in relationship with men. We're having lunch recently when I mentioned in a conversation that my boyfriend was 5'9". I was continuing to speak when she cut me off to say almost laughingly, I'm sorry, but blank is not 5'9". He's my height, 5'7". Then she proceeds to mention how another friend of ours is also about 5'7", and she's taller than him. I was taken aback and said, are you sure? No, he's 5'9". At least that's what he said. I've asked him before. She went on to say, I'm sorry, inserts my name, but he is not 5'9". My boyfriend is also my height, 5'7", and I don't mind. I didn't want to immediately seem upset or defensive, but I was. I don't care how tall her boyfriend is and whether or not she's okay with it. I've always and still like tall guys. I've only dated guys that were 5'9 and above when I met my boyfriend. I believed he was tall enough for me because I'm only 5'2". I mean, I liked him regardless and thought we looked good together, but now I feel kind of shallow that it bothers me that I've been potentially lied to all these years and I didn't know and that my boyfriend thinks he got away with it. Regardless, I went on to defend my boyfriend to say that I believe he's 5'9 because that's what he told me. And then I said, we should all hang out soon because I want to see how tall you are <laughs> next to him because she said they're the same height. Oh my God. It's <laughs> devolved so quickly. Everybody against the wall. this quickly became a very awkward conversation when she realized how seriously i took this she she then said no you're not going to do that oh my god i'm sorry maybe i'm wrong maybe he does think he's five nine i haven't seen him in a while about a year so i could be wrong (laughs) three days later and i can't stop thinking about whether she's right and honestly i'm still pissed off that she thought she had to tell me this How triggered could I be? I keep fighting the urge to bring this up to my boyfriend because I don't want to. If my friend is right, then my boyfriend would be embarrassed as it would mean that this is something he's insecure about. And honestly, I don't have a lot of friends, so I don't want my boyfriend to dislike her and I can't afford to hold a grudge against her either. Thanks and all the best. This is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think she's like missing the point of like how she feels about his height in person as her, as like her boyfriend, like she's dating her boyfriend. She knows what his height feels like around her. The actual number to me doesn't fully make sense. Five, seven and five, nine, while they might seem like totally different are kind of similar. Like I could see how someone who was like five, eight, five, seven might say five, nine. And then because it makes them feel better. And it's the type of thing where it's like after the first date, it's a moot point. Like you saw me. It's not like you lie about your age and then like you never, right. you could never find out. And then finally you find out the truth and it's like, whoa, you have been lying this whole time versus height. It's kind of like you knew the second I stood up from the table how tall I was and either you were into it or you weren't into it. Like there was no, right. yeah. I think height's kind of like weight in some ways. I mean, obviously it's a little more objective, but it's the kind of thing where like, if you're kind of between two numbers, you might go with yes. like the lower, the, in, you know, that's in the case of the weight, the higher number right. <laughs> right. For, for height. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think what's, what's bothering her maybe 
there is a piece of it that's like my boyfriend lied to me and I need to find out the truth, like get up against the wall and like, let's see what the truth is. Like that is ridiculous because he's t as tall as he is and it really doesn't matter. You saw him, you liked him, you guys connect and you decided to date him. I think, you know, she wants him to kind of own up that he like stretched it up. Or I think the bigger picture is that the friend felt the need to like call it out and make a thing of it when she's and then making it sort of about her where it's like I am okay with my boyfriend not being that tall I've like come to terms with it but perhaps you haven't come to terms with right. it which she obviously hasn't so maybe she's onto something like I do think it bothers her to kind of have that as a fact about her boyfriend right maybe she feels more pride in having a taller boyfriend and so that's sort of like a and I mean, the fact that she, again, wanted them to get against the wall, I think, does show that maybe like this is a little bit, it's less about the height and more about what the height says about her mm -hmm. in some ways or right. something like or that. Or this identity that she has of like, I've always liked tall guys. Like that's, so in order, if she was going to marry this person and he wasn't quote unquote a tall guy, is she going against her type? Is that going to be something that's okay with her if she's identified as someone who likes tall guys, but she's married to a not tall guy? What does that mean? So maybe there's a deeper thing here of like, if this person could be a match for her, if he is her type or he's not her type. But yeah, I think it's, the issue is more- I can understand to an extent that being triggered about like, the idea that you feel so confident in something and someone else is sort of like, you read this like completely wrong. And now then you're also sort of like faced with your own insecurities about this thing. And that's really what it's showing. It's really showing her insecurities about who she's with. Right. Almost. Honestly, the question is funny and it's like really, like we're saying kind of ridiculous because she likes him. She's with him. She's It's fine until right. this thing comes up the kind of the idea of like, what does it, and this is for a lot of people and this whole like tall guy thing is I think a manifestation of like, what does it mean about me if I can date a guy who is this way or that way? And this happens a ton, the reverse mm -hmm. or like just the, you know, the image of my partner and how that reflects upon me. So I think that there's a bunch of this going on. Like if I have a super successful partner or a super good looking partner or a really whatever it is about the image that your partner projects and how you're allowing that to affect your own sense of self. I think right. that plays in here. And that's something for a lot of people to give some serious thought to, you know, cause it's like you're with this person. They don't need to be a reflection of how good you are because you were able to snag this type of specimen yeah no i agree i think there's a lot of i mean there's people have that and i think that people judge themselves based on their own capabilities in all of those areas i recently had a doctor's visit where someone told or the nurse was trying to tell me that i was five five and mm. i've always thought of myself as five eight so I was just, kind of, I, and then I found myself like arguing with her when I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm the same, like regardless of whatever she puts down, like I'm the Changes same nothing. height. And, but then I was like, I can sort of understand the triggering nature of it just because I was like irritated with her because I was like, 
no one else has measured me at that height. And right. you just keep trying to like tell me that that's my height. And I know that's not my height. But she's like, I'm looking. I get, you know what I mean? When you're like yeah. against the wall. She's seeing it. You're not seeing it. Yeah. And it doesn't. That's the thing. It doesn't. Especially with something like height where it's like not really moving or right. It's almost yes. different than like weight where it's like, let right. me take off my shoes. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, with height, it's like I am the height that I am. Totally. And. I don't know why it bothered me that she didn't see that. So how did it turn out? Was she like, fine, crazy woman. I'll put whatever you want. No, she kept, she was like sticking to her measurements. And I was like, all right, it's fine. I mean, I got over it like two minutes later, right. but I was still kind of like, I feel like I'm being gaslit by this woman about my own. <laughs> right. I- no, I could totally see that. And I think there are these things. And I do this in my groups a lot where, you know, sometimes we'll talk about like what makes up our ego, what makes up our image of ourselves. Like, okay, this is my name. This is my ethnicity. This is what I'm good at. This is how tall I am. This is my body shape. This, These are my skills. These are, you know, whatever it is. And if we can let go of that, sometimes it'll help us be less like clinging to these types, exact types of things where it's like the image of yourself. And then also like this listener saying the image of my partner, like I always think about middle school and how it was almost like, if you said that you thought someone was attractive, that like wasn't collectively like a hundred percent attractive, it was like, as if you like ate a booger, you know, it was like, yeah, that's a really good point. It's like, oh, Really, like you secretly thought was cute that wasn't on like the approved list, right? It's it, and then you know it's funny because I see this even more so with women, like all these like beautiful girls that like in middle school maybe they didn't wax their eyebrows or like whatever it was they weren't like exactly the right or they weren't in the right crowd, and now I like see them on social media and I'm like, all oh, you stupid boys, you didn't realize that like there were these gorgeous girls that just weren't in the cool crowd and now they won't they wouldn't even talk to you like they wouldn't give you the time of day they've like blossomed and like come out of this little bubble of like the approved list of girls that were like okay to say we're pretty so i think it's like this image of like what does me being with this person mean about me and like it means nothing about you you are you separate from this person yeah, I mean, it's hard to take your ego out of or like what anyone else thinks out of most things. Like there's everyone has, I think, some level of that. But if you can make that a little lower, I think that's the idea. Yeah, it's just be- right. I think becoming aware of it is a great first step of like, what, why? What does this mean? Especially when it's something so ridiculous as this is like a measurement that nobody sees, nobody knows. And you walk around and you're as tall as you are. And so is your boyfriend. Right. Well, I have a feeling she's been telling a lot of people that he's five nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's a. I guess it's a little triggering to just hear that someone disagrees with you about something that you've led as a fundamental truth. And as 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 I have just gone through that at the doctor, I can validate. Right. That's really that funny. experience to an extent. Right. I would give this. I would give it a six. Yeah. Even though I don't think it's like her friend's fault. Like I would do the same thing if I was her friend. Right. Yeah. I I I think I would maybe I give it a little bit lower. I get it's kind of like her friend could have just let her live on thinking that her boyfriend was five nine and like it wouldn't have killed anybody. It was, I think the triggering part is that the friend was almost doing it to make herself it's feel like, better. Right. Like my She's boyfriend's like five seven and that's okay. And so is yours. 
Like we both have boyfriends that are five seven. <laughs> yeah, it's like don't loop me in with you. <laughs> <laughs> so like the part of the friend like trying to pull her into her like acceptance of this thing when she's perhaps like not there or doesn't think she needs to be pulled into that. I could see that part being triggering, but the rest of it, like get over it. I'm sure he's amazing and like yeah. short don't guys are line up against the wall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell him. Yes, I agree. I give it. I give it like a 4.5. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. This is a uh, this is a you issue, I think, not a friend issue. Fair. All right, let's do one more. Okay. Hey, Jordan and Dr. Naomi, I look forward to oversharing every week. Thanks for the great podcast. My last therapy session left me feeling very triggered, and I'd appreciate your take on the situation. For background, my grandmother passed away, and on the same day she died, my husband picked a major fight with me about some long-standing frustrations he has with my family, among other things. The fight was super uncalled for and left me feeling alone in a time of grief, and I spent my next therapy session processing that. Now, here's what triggered me. At the end of my session, my therapist asked if she could give me some advice. I said yes, and then she said, don't get pregnant right now. Time was up. I didn't really have a chance to unpack the statement. I'm not even trying to get pregnant yet, but the comment felt like a gut punch. I understand she found my husband's behavior to be shitty. It was, but it felt like she was making a massive judgment about my relationship, playing out scenarios in her head and giving me majorly unsolicited advice. Is it ever okay for a therapist to give this kind of advice? I know she asked permission, but I wasn't expecting this. The more I think about it, the more angry I get. I need support as I grieve my grandmother, but instead I'm using energy being upset with my husband and my therapist. How triggered should I be? A grieving betch. All right. This is interesting. I mean, I think the most triggering part about this is that she said it like at the end of the session and just was like, okay, bye. Like without right. leaving any room to discuss, to discuss it. And I think the way that she said it was a little bit Look, I could see having that feeling of like, I don't think you need this extra stress on your plate right now. And it might not even be because the like you, you don't get pregnant because I think you guys might get divorced. It might just be like, you're going through something. You're processing through it. You guys are having this struggle right now. Adding a baby into this or pregnancy into this might like be more unnecessary stress. It might not have been like she interpreted this as like, your husband's terrible, don't have his baby kind of thing, right. which it may. Which is kind of how I would interpret it, I think. Yeah, I, and, I, and maybe that's how she meant it, perhaps. And I do think there were other ways that she could have said that. And I, I, as I'm thinking about it, I guess I do agree. Like there, she didn't say I'm thinking of getting pregnant. So like that was right. just out of the blue. I feel like therapists don't usually give random unsolicited advice like that. Right. Just that has like for no almost reason. nothing to do even with what they're talking about. Right. Um, yeah, that might have been a moment that I don't know that she would do if she could go back and and do it again. But I think the bigger issue to focus on is like, why was that so triggering for you? And what what are your doubts? And is this something where you're like, okay, we're gonna figure this out, we're gonna get through it. Like I you know, I could see it being triggering the way it was delivered so abruptly at the end of a session with no time to process it. But ultimately, it's your trigger. It's also kind of weird to me that like the therapist says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Her husband also says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Like I could see why it would be especially triggering when she's coming to the therapist to talk about how her husband handled her 
being in a vulnerable emotional state and use that as a time to reflect, to say something that was about him, Mm -hmm. I guess, in her family. And then the therapist is sort of doing the exact same thing. Right. Totally. And I think that that would be a great thing for her to say at her next therapy session. So I think what happens a lot of times with people, especially if it's a newer therapist, is your therapist maybe does something or says something that you don't love, and then you just stop going, which I don't think that that's the best way to handle it because sometimes therapy is dealing with your issues about your therapist with your therapist can be very healing. And it can show you like how to have a problem with somebody, how to be offended by something Mm -hmm. somebody said, or feel like they did something that, you know, therapists are human. We're just regular people. And yeah, sometimes, you know, she might've said something that she would take back or wasn't the right thing, or maybe she was not focused that day or her, she was distracted by something, whatever it was. And to see how that works, where she brings it up with her and how does she handle it? You know, and maybe she could own up to like, yeah, that was probably something that shouldn't have been brought up in that moment. But, you know, how do you feel about getting pregnant or bringing that up? And she can bring up the triggers or exactly what you said, bringing up, yeah, I came to you for something that I was struggling with and you kind of created a pile on just like my husband did. So that was extremely triggering. Like I would, sometimes these little moments where you're angry at your therapist, or you have some kind of strong emotion towards your therapist, that's your moment where you're like, all right, this, there could be some really good growth here. If I can bring myself to have the confrontation where I tell my therapist that I didn't like the way that felt. Do your patients ever do that with you? Not often, but I almost wish they would more because then I think it, it really allows for a conversation between me and you about me and you. That's what intimacy is. That's what like connection is. Like, I think it would help me, you know, help my patients feel more connected to me if they would bring up, yeah, you said this thing and didn't sit with me well, or, you know, and that happens sometimes, like some people do that. And I think it usually does end up bringing us closer together if that's what it is. And I will always say, like, I do like to say to people, in the beginning, I don't know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Like, I don't know, everyone's different in terms of what type of therapy they're looking for. So I need you to be open with me and communicate with me about like what's working and what's not working instead of what a lot of people do is like, okay, if this isn't working, I'm just not going to come back, which, you know, doesn't happen often. But I think that type of communication is exact. Like people think that they need to go to therapy and talk about the other people in their life. But sometimes the best therapy is like, I'm talking about me and you and not right. everybody else. And that's the best person to practice a confrontation with. Totally. Cause you're going to model kind of like how to handle confrontation, how to take ownership, how to listen, how to lean in. Even when someone's like, you're having your own, it's not to say if someone says like, Oh, you said this thing and it really hurt my feelings. Like, of course it's not going to be like my that's not going to feel great. You know, that's not going to feel like, oh, wow, I did um, make me feel like the most amazing therapist. I never want to hurt anyone's feelings or upset anyone, but it's a great moment to like repair and connect with someone that I care about and that like I care about our relationship. I agree. She should say something. Yeah. See how the therapist responds. I'd give this like a six and a half, seven. Yeah. I, th- I could see why this is triggering because of exactly what you said. You hit the nail on the head with like, 
I'm coming here to you to feel better about that. And I'm getting like a pile on of something that I wasn't expecting to right. talk about. And and at the end, when I didn't really have time totally. to like be upset about yeah. that. Timing is super right. important. It really is. Like as a therapist, you have to be mindful of the clock and how much time you have and how to kind of make sure you have enough time to process. It's one thing if the patient brings up something in the last minute or two minutes. There's nothing, I, but I'm not going to certainly go ahead and like stir up some kind of right. potential wound with like 10 seconds left in the session. What did you say that's called when the patient brings up something like super important at the very end? Oh, yeah. Doorknob comment. Doorknob. Yes. Yeah. That's back when we used to do in-person therapy and the person would be like standing. And I have people that would do that all the time, like sta literally standing at the door, hand on the door type feeling and like, oh, and by the way, I quit my job. We'll talk about it next time. <laughs> it's like, well, what? <laughs> I guess it's something you don't really want to talk about. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But you know you need to. So it's like that avoidance, which is fine, because then we just obviously talk about it next time, talk about the avoidance next time, talk about the shame or whatever there is right. behind that next but time. But that's at least their decision. Yeah. As opposed to this kind of thing where it's like yours. Right. Yeah. I could see why this is triggering also. I get it. Timing is important. Well, good luck. Yeah. All right. We set them up. We knocked them down. We did it again. That's our time. Great work today. Oversharing is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Salz-McCann. Editing by Basilio Perez. Guest booking by Allie Friedlander. Send your advice emails to oversharing at Betches.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-363-6294. Thank you to our sponsor, Netflix. Bridgerton is back, bringing us another scandalous and sexy season. And dearest gentle readers, you will not want to miss this chapter. In season three, longtime friends Colin Bridgerton and Penelope Featherington find themselves in quite the precarious situation. The wallflower is ready to bloom, but she needs Colin's help to find a marriage match. Will these friends defy odds and expectations to find true love? And will Penelope's secret identity as famed gossip writer Lady Whistledown destroy any chance she may have at love? You shall have to watch and see. Watch part one of Bridgerton, only on Netflix May 16th. Betches.